Most golfers would like to be able to play where the pros play. Sadly, we're not going to get on the PGA Tour, not with our skill set. However, you can still play where the pros have played if you put a bit of time and effort into it. This podcast tells you how to follow in the footsteps of giants. Welcome back to another episode of In the Footsteps of Giants. This is just a quick review show to uh, to talk about uh, how the Masters played out last night. And uh, joining me all the way from the United States of America is our North American correspondent, the Commander, who, uh, like myself, although he didn't have to sit up quite as late into the night because uh, obviously the time differential, but um, we we all watched a very exciting finish to the Masters. Did you enjoy it, Commander? I did, and I was able to stay up for the whole thing because unlike the NFL, you need daylight to golf, your best at least. So I was able to stay up and watch the dang thing. A lot of my mates um, last night were sending me messages round about the end of the front nine and the very start of the back nine and sort of saying, this is quite dull. I'm away to bed. Couldn't be bothered. Ooh, don't know. Uh, and I was going, but it's the back nine on Sunday. Something always happens. It's never straightforward. And it did not turn out straightforward again. No, that's correct. The back nine lived up to its billing. It always wins. The other little people that think they scored the best, that's fine. But the golf course always wins on Sunday in Augusta. And the really nice thing about it, and I, there was a little thing happened at the end, and I don't know if you saw this, but this was all over Twitter earlier today. Um, Hideki Matsuyama wins the Masters, and he's on his way to sign his card and everything else, and the crowd are following and cheering, and he's getting all the plaudits quietly in the background and and you can find this on twitter and you can find it on the itfog uh, twitter on our uh, own actual twitter channel uh, his caddy who isn't a professional caddy is a, is a good friend he uh, took the the flag at 18 and he quietly replaced the flagpole in the hole he then turned to the course took his cap off and bowed to the course as a little mark of respect. I actually was surprisingly moved by that little gesture. It just mm-hmm. showed something, because he wasn't being watched. It wasn't as if Matsuyama did it, and it was a big thing. This was just a very quiet moment um, by this young man who actually just turned to respect the golf course. They would just played and survived, because let's be honest, they survived it. They, they did, and, and I, I, was, I was moved as well. As soon as he replaced the flag stick and turned a little bit to his, I believe he turned a little bit to his left. Yeah. Um, I knew exactly what he was going to do because he was getting stiller and stiller and stiller in those five, six seconds. And it was, I thought that was really, really, really nice. Yeah, I thought I thought it showed a, a significant element of class. It showed a, a realization. It's it's happened twice recently because Lee Westwood's caddy uh, recently, after they putted out at the Players' Championship, which Lee Westwood didn't win, she took the flag and went over and found Justin Thomas and presented him 
with the flag on 18 because he had won the, the Players' Championship. So again, there's been a couple of nice things recently showing the respect in golf. We, we can sometimes focus on, on the unpleasant aspects or if every so often when there's a cheating scandal, which will generally involve, even if there's no cheating involved, but it'll generally involve Patrick Reed, And... Uh, you know, so he'll he'll be in the mix somewhere on that. But uh, anyway, I just thought that was a really really nice touch. But anyway, it was an, and it was it was a very good end to what had the contrast between that solemn moment for that man and the absolute falderall that was going on in the preceding hour. It was quite stark that contrast. I would have to say. Um, Xander Schofley is going to take a while to get over that shot on 16 because having played four straight birdies, finally got to the point where Hideki was rocking and then to stuff it into the water at 16, which I'd have to say on those homeward holes is probably the easiest hole to know what you've got to do. And the only thing you can't do is put it in the water. Anything else, you're going to make a four. But to put it in the water, you're you're already under pressure. And quite honestly, that was unforgivable. And that was the moment that gave Hideki enough to get over the line. It was, but all things considered, a few holes, one hole, excuse me, earlier, Hideki kind of amped up a four iron. Yeah, I did notice blasted, that. Blasted that one. I believe that was a little bit of adrenaline and a little bit of fail, failure to just stop and think for a sec. Yeah, it does It does remind me of many, many years ago where Curtis Strange uh, was going to win the Masters, and I think it was Johnny Miller who was commentating at the time, and uh, Curtis pulled out something like a forward at the time to have a go at the green, and Johnny Miller is going, Curtis, you lead the Masters by two hit it up short and hit it onto the green. Put the wood in the bag, Curtis. And uh, Curtis walks over, puts the wood in the bag, takes out an iron and Johnny Miller goes, thank goodness he's seen sense. He goes over, takes a waggle, comes back, gets the wood back out of the bag uh-huh. and Johnny Miller's going, no, Curtis, put the wood away. Curtis goes over, has a swing with the wood and puts it right in the middle of the lake. Actually, I don't remember that. Oh, he actually very famously said something that I'm not going to repeat on this podcast that was heard around the world which went something along the lines of something that there goes the masters <laughs> and you know it's still one of those great moments where you just go no all you had to do is hit it down chip it up a five and you're happy suddenly you're struggling you're making seven uh, i thought hideki recovered quite well from that last night interesting oh, I, I thought i thought the six i thought hideki six was good was quite nice yeah. yeah oh no i think that was a that was a result I was scanning down, before we get to just briefly covering uh, the In the Footsteps of Giants picks and who won the draft competition, I was looking down uh, the leaderboard and very, very surprisingly, you find people in fairly high up the leaderboard who I didn't see a shot of the entire tournament, let alone the final day. I didn't see because... Tied 12th, Kevin Na. I didn't see a shot of Kevin Na in four days. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember seeing one either. That's right. Uh, actually creeping up into, I saw a couple of shots from Tyrrell Hatton. Yep. Um, 
but tied 21st. Harris English, never saw him in the entire tournament. Don't know, um, you know, what he'd only a 72 on the uh, uh, the final, or he hit a 70, sorry, on the final day. I mean, you just you just look at the couple of these and go, I, I, I never even saw these people. Um, yeah. And in fact, we saw almost nothing of Siwoo Kim after his spectacular uh, breaking of his his putter on the uh, on the Saturday and putting with his three wood. I, I think I think the the equipment malfunction was <laughs> yes. Well Let's call it an him. equipment malfunction. Yes, <laughs> yeah. If you hit your putter so hard on the ground that you 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 change its shape. Um, then, then you shouldn't really. Although it did teach me a rule because I didn't actually specifically know the rule that if you actually change the physicality of a club, even if he could have still putted with it, because the physicality of the club had been changed, you can no longer actually play with that club. I did not necessarily fully understand that rule. That that comes back to the adjustable clubs. That's why no, none of the adjustable irons. Or once you set it at the beginning of a round, you cannot change your driver setting or your three wood setting. It, it would fall into that. Oh, let's see. I don't have enough loft on my putter. Let me just tap it a few times on the brick wall. There, that ought to do it. That, but that's a no go. Uh, and as I say, that that's why we come to you as our North American correspondent. You know things like this, and uh, <laughs> you, you, you you can keep us right. You know, but that's. <laughs> That's only because my game changes on a minute-to-minute basis, and I never <laughs> seem to have the club handy that will suit me. All 18 of them, 14 of them, 17 of them, no. <laughs> I'm so hoping it's only 14, but the next time we play together, I will certainly be counting um, what's, how many clubs <laughs> well, you're carrying in the bag. In the basement. Oh, well, uh, if there's only three or four in the basement, you're not doing this properly. Um, most of the yep. rest of us have three or four sets of some description no, no, no. Um, and, and spare clubs. Okay, let's just look very quickly at the In the Footsteps of Giants predictions game. We didn't uh, have as good a Masters as we had in November. In November, we got it pretty much spot on. Uh, two of us picking Dustin Johnson and uh, you know various other things. But this time round, we were a bit, bit average, if I'm honest. Um, I, I would even go so far as to say quite average. Yeah. We predicted on the missed cut bits of the game, I predicted the highest ranked player to miss the cut would be Rory McIlroy. And certainly of all of our choices, he was the highest ranked to miss the cut, although Dustin Johnson is obviously ranked higher than him and, and missed the cut as well. So I score some points for Rory McIlroy in the game. You score points for Sergio Garcia who I believe now has not made the cut since he won the event. Oh, that would surprise me. It, it surprised me, but somebody told me that the other day, and I was going, I I don't think he has made the cut since. I can't remember definitively one way or the other. Neither can I. And in fact, you know, really, since we do this podcast, I really should check these facts before I start speaking. But <laughs> I, I, Ah, pshaw. Put it like this, he hasn't come close to winning it again since he won it. Um, and uh, Des's pick of Patrick Reed. No, he managed to, to creep his way up uh, the leaderboard. And he finished fifth? Uh, I think Patrick Reed finished tied for eighth. Eighth. Okay. Uh, uh, on minus four uh, alongside Corey Connors, uh, who's actually having a very good season at the moment. He's actually playing fairly consistently. 
My One of my picks, uh, Sunjay Im, uh, didn't make the cut. But if you remember from the uh, preview program, uh, I was toying between him and Cameron Smith, and I chose Sunjay M, which is rather a shame because Cameron Smith finished tied 10th. But anyway. He had a nice day. He did. I, I score no points for him. Uh, Tony Fino makes another uh, top 10, but none of us had picked him to win it. But actually, uh, the the ones that score us points, um, I score points for Jordan Spieth, who came third. Des scores uh, what I'd like to call his only points of the competition uh, for John Ram, who was tied fifth equal. I Well, I tell you, he had a great back nine. Oh, he I did. Mean, he had a great, great Sunday. It was fun to watch him. He he was he was on fire, but he was too far back, and you yep. know he he yes he was going for it, but he was never going to win it. And then nope. we have uh, I score points for uh, Scotty Scheffler, and you score points for Colin Morikawa. Then you score. Who, by the way, they were both eighteenth equal. Were they? Yep, they were. And then Phil Mickelson was twenty first equal alongside one of my picks, Justin Thomas. And Des... Boy, he faded hard. Yeah, he did, because he was going well. And Des uh, comes in at... Uh, Bryson DeChambeau was 46th equal. And there are How no points the- There are no points in the game for being that low down. So, <laughs> in calculating all of this, Des finished on four points, based on the rules that I made up. Uh, and, and let's be quite clear, I made up the rules of this game, but as it so happens, I may well. Uh, you, uh, Commander, finished with six points, scoring points for uh, Sergio Garcia, uh, for missing the cut, Colin Morikawa and Phil Mickelson. And I finish up with 12 points uh, for Rory McIlroy, uh, missing the cut, Jordan Spieth being the top-ranked player of our predictions, then Scotty Scheffler third, and uh, Justin Thomas uh, so in, in real terms, um, we weren't that good as predictions, but for the purposes of our own little game, um, you know, that is, um, yeah, it's a victory and you take your victories where you get them. <laughs> yep. It, it was above all else. It was really good golf to watch. I thought I, I didn't, the, the quality of golf was all over the place, depending upon which hole and which twosome and at what point in the round you were watching it, you could see some phenomenal shots and you could see some absolute clunkers all the way through the field yesterday. I enjoyed it. Uh, Well, it's hard not to enjoy uh, the last round of the Masters. And as, as I've said many times when we've been doing these discussions on the Masters, it's the one tournament every year we all feel we know everything about. We know Every hole we know, you know, I can put those greens watching them on television. But um, our other guest who was on in the preview show, Ross, he had said that when he was at the Masters for the four days and he spent a lot of time looking at these greens, he said there was nowhere where he felt he could put a four-footer down and have any confidence he could hold it. He says they are that frightening. The undulations are that extreme that, you know, those pros... I mean, their nerves must be shredded by the time they finish. Well, I can get down in two from four feet on most greens. You can, but maybe not there. 
Many years ago, uh, I, I played, was lucky enough to play Valderrama in, in Spain, and that's the fastest greens I've ever played, 11 on the stint meter. And I, I, I stood on the practice green, and there was a very light uphill slope on a part of the practice green. And there was a hole, and I dropped a ball about six foot short and hit this putt, missed the edge, and the ball went seven foot past up the hill. And so I went up and I thought, well, I'll just dolly this back down the hill towards the hole. And I dollied it down, missed the hole and finished up nine foot past. So I've now put it twice and I'm three foot further away. And I remember thinking this could be an awfully long day. And it was quite a long day out there on the greens. They terrified us. And it was really only towards the very end that you were starting to get any understanding of the fact you weren't putting as you're used to it. You're, you were just getting the ball started a lot of the time and it, it would travel. So those greens at Augusta running at 14.5. Is that what they were yesterday? Well, they, they always target them between 14 and 15. I don't think I've ever ah. heard them faster than 15, but I think they're always between 14 and 15 in around the 14.5 mark. But I mean, that's insane. By the way, I noticed also if you were 25th in the Masters yesterday, you were earning over $100,000. So, I mean, you're getting well paid for, for uh, you know, hanging in there. You are, but it's not everybody just hanging in there. First, you got to work like a, a really, really dry beaver to get the dam built <laughs> just to get there. Yes, you do. And, and it's such a small field, you know, in terms of the number of players playing it um, that, you know, it's, it really is only the very best in the world that get there. And so you you know that every single person you're playing against in the top 40-odd, as we've talked before, you know, at the very lower end, uh, there'll be a few players that aren't really in contention. Um, and I, actually, that was another interesting one. I don't think Bernhard Langer made the cut. which he was didn't, a, and this is the first time that I remember no amateur making the cut. It's been, I don't remember that happening. Uh, I think it has happened before, but um, in recent years, a couple of amateurs seem to have managed to get in to, to play all yeah. four rounds, but not. There only were there were fewer amateurs in. There were only three in the field this time. And it may, that that may have been because of November. There's only so many amateur events: December, January, February, March. Yeah, you know it. It probably is, but anyway, all things considered, how did you rate yesterday's Masters? I'm going to compare it to the November one first. I like the course much better this time around than in November. This was what you drive up the long tree-lined driveway and park your car and get out your clubs and break into a cold sweat. This is what you think about when you think about the Masters for a course. The higgly-piggly hodgepodge that went on in November was great entertainment as long as you didn't worry about how close you were going to get to Justin, to Dustin Johnson, because he ran off and hid. So in respect of the competition, this one was closer, although you wouldn't have thought it an hour and a half before it ended. Nope. Six up, six to play. So overall, November's, I would rank a six and a half. April's, I would rank probably a good eight and a half out of ten. Yeah, I have to say I find I, – I wasn't sure in the front nine last night. I thought this had the potential to be quite dull and a bit processional. But I had great faith 
that the back nine would do what the back nine nearly always does. And I mean, we've seen over so many years the exact same story that something starts to happen. I think it made a difference that there were some patrons back, that there was a bit of sort of crowd noise uh, around the the Masters, which in, yeah. in November it had been very, very silent. I, I do think you're right. I mean, Dustin Johnson put on a bit of a clinic in November. I think y- yesterday was a nerve jangler right to the end. And I mean, I was rooting for Hideki uh, up up 18 because he, he kind of had done all the work to deserve it. He had, yeah. uh, you know, Japanese history on his shoulders. No uh, Japanese players ever won a major, let alone the Masters. And, uh, you know, there was so much riding on it that... Um, and I do think, by the way, uh, he can write his own checks uh, from the uh, Japanese market right now. He is the most marketable sportsman they're going to have uh, anytime soon. Oh, I think I think he's the most marketable sportsman west of L.A., south of the North Pole, and, oh, I don't know, east of, let's say, Beijing? yeah. It, it's 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 highly possible, and wow, I, I I do think he. I mean, he's that win has him absolutely. I think he was already pretty much set for life, but that win definitely makes the difference. I do think he's going to be a challenge for um, your talk shows and late night American TV, huh. which I don't think that's going to be a rip roarer. If I'm being honest, um, because you, you lose a lot using an interpreter. What what I thought was interesting is his active vocabulary is very small, but his passive vocabulary, I believe, is much larger than he gets credit for because I believe he understood much of what was being said to him and he would wait for the interpreter to finish yeah. interpreting and then he would answer in, in Japanese right away. But I think he, he knew what was asked of him a lot. I love the one answer. I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I cannot believe he makes his living mainly in the United States of America on the PGA Tour and does not by now speak a or understand a significant amount of English. The odds of, oh, were it me, opening my mouth in a foreign language, not saying what I intended to say, those odds would be incredibly high. Yeah. And I think for him, the fear of being mistaken mistakenly heard or misheard is probably going to weigh on him becoming conversant for quite a while because he he's so respectful the, the pair of them were so respectful that i think he would rather make sure what he said is what he meant and what people heard do you know what i actually have i'm taking out of that that i should keep my mouth shut more and not actually talk half as much. But <laughs> but then that would make this podcast so much more difficult to actually produce. But it'd be shorter. It would be shorter. <laughs> and on that, on that bombshell, people, what I'm going to do is tie up tonight's uh, little review episode. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed the Masters. Uh, it certainly provided a high degree of excitement for those of us that stayed awake for the back nine. I do admonish some of my fellow renegades who uh, jacked it in early and headed off to bed um, because I do think it actually had a pretty exciting and a pretty tense finish. But anyway, Commander, thank you very much indeed for coming on the line this evening just to have a a, a brief um, discussion. 
Uh, Des, my usual co-host, um, was unavailable this evening, and uh, we will have him back in his usual position in the uh, by the next episode. Um, but until we actually preview the uh, PGA tournament, which this year will be at the Ocean Course at Kiowa Island, um, I know where that is. And you do indeed. And in fact, it was my great privilege a few years ago to play the ocean course at Kew Island with your good self. And um, that was a very, very memorable day. And if I, if I could remind us both, not our cheapest day on the golf course ever. Oh, my heavens, not. <laughs> and that's a story for another evening. We will tell you that story in the not-too-distant future. Anyway, thank you very much. We will uh, speak to you again very soon. You're welcome. East Coast out. Thank you very much. See you soon. Well, that's our review of uh, this year's Masters. Um, We hope you all really enjoyed your weekend's viewing. And uh, we will see you again very, very soon on another episode of In the Footsteps of Giants.